Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas or at church1132.com. Climb higher, part six, Exodus chapter 24, verse 13 is going to be our first text. I'm going to give you two different scriptures in Exodus. This one starts in verse, actually verse 12 we'll start. And it says, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aide. He set out with Joshua his aide. And Moses went up on the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us. Wait here for us. It's important. This is in Exodus chapter 24. He's telling him, wait for us. Until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. Now, I'll give you a little context before I read our second passage of Scripture. Exodus 24 is where God is telling Moses to go up on the mountain so that he can give him the Ten Commandments. He says, I'm going to bring you up on the mountain. I'm going to begin to unfold the, the laws and the commands that we are supposed to adhere to. And so he says, I want you to go up on the mountain. So he goes up on the mountain. This is Exodus 24. Now, many of us, we split up chapters like they're stories. So when 24 ends, that's the end of one story, and 25 begins. But in the Bible, when it was written, there weren't chapters. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't divided. It was just the story. So when he goes up in Exodus 24, he never comes down for a long time. And God begins to give him instruction. And this was our last message. God begins to tell him to build according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Now when we talk about the mountain, if you're new to the series, when we talk about the mountain and climbing higher, we are talking about getting away with God. We are talking about climbing above whatever situation we're in and just getting time with Jesus, being with him, spending time in prayer. And I can, no matter what the situation is in my life, if I can get away with God, I can get his perspective on it. And I found this, and we said this almost every week, is that the, 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 the problem that looks large in the valley looks very unimpressive from the mountain. The, the, the issues that look daunting in the valley, they don't look that bad from the mountain. So it is imperative as believers that we learn how to climb and we learn how to get away with God. Because when we get away with God, we can begin to see what he sees and think what he thinks. And when we do that, the things that would take us out in valley living don't take us out in mountain living. And the Bible talks about this journey between Moses and God that Moses would climb to the top of the mountain. Every time we go to the top of the mountain, God would meet with him. And this is true in our life, that every time we get away with God, God would will meet with us. The Bible says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. I'm going to tell you, we're going somewhere today, and I can already, I'm not trying to just like pump you up here, but I can already feel that God's about to shift some perspectives to enable you to take your walk with Jesus to an entirely different level. I think that we have been living too low. I'm fearful that our churches have been compiled of believers that are way more immature than what God would have them to be. That we have all been a little codependent on someone else or something else to get us to stay right and to stay saved and to stay with God and to stay with the church. And I wonder in my thinking, and, and, and as, as even as we were traveling these past couple of weeks, I begin to think, is God really enough? 
just him? Is he just enough? If, if him and, and his power and Jesus and the gospel, is it, is it still enough? Or do we have to have the lights? And do we have to have the right buildings? And do we have to have the right service structure and sing the right songs and have the right volume and have the right website and have the right structure and have the right discipleship and have the right ministry? and have, Do we have to have all that just so we can stay good? Or is he, is he enough? And in Exodus chapter 24, God calls Moses to the mountain, and then 25, he's still there. 26, he's there. 27, he's there. 28, Moses is still there. 29, Moses is there. 30, Moses is on the mountain, still. 31, Moses is still there. 32, Exodus chapter 32 Verse 1, it says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the... Moses is still there. This is chapter 32. This is eight chapters later. He is still on the mountain. It says that they saw that he was so long in coming down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron, who Moses left in charge, and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't, this is how they're talking about the guy that just delivered them out of 490 years of slavery. As for this fellow Moses, we don't even know what happened to him. He has disappeared before us. Aaron answered them, this is, this is now the leader that, that Moses left in charge. They said, make us some gods. And Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron like it was normal. He took what they handed him and they made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now I know when we in our educated minds read this, we are thinking that the Israelites have lost their minds. Because that's how I thought about it. When I read this, I'm thinking, are you serious? God shows up in Egypt? You have had generation after generation after generation in slavery, and God sends Moses and Aaron. Now, you, you got to catch this, because most of this morning is I'm going to tell you this story. But what God's going to show us through this story is going to take us to a destination that is going to alter the way we think about a certain uh, perspective of God. And when that shifts, this thing's about to break loose. All right? So there's got to be some setup, so you got to be patient with me today, because I have to tell you all this, because this is really important for where we're going. Because Moses came with Aaron. Moses didn't want to go. Do you remember this? God called Moses, and Moses says, I, 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 he says, I can't talk well. Which we know is not true because Moses was educated with the greatest educators of the day. And they actually said about Moses before he ran, they said that he was powerful in speech. So the man that was powerful in speech all of a sudden can't talk. He didn't have a stutter. He had an insecurity. See, a lot of our dysfunction is really not even what the dysfunction is. It goes back to an inward condition that when God touches, it reminds us that we actually are stronger than we think we are. And so Moses goes, he says, I'll go if you send someone with me. So God says, I'll send Aaron. So it's Moses and Aaron, and they walk into the courts of Pharaoh, and they begin to rally, and they begin to fight, and they begin to declare the word of God, and God begins to send plagues. You ever seen the movie, Ten Commandments? 
plague after plague after plague. I thought forever that Moses was Charlton Heston. I thought that's who he was. It, plague after, I mean, this like flies and, and, and the, the cra- frogs and all of these plagues. It goes through this whole thing. Now, the Israelites, I want you to think about what they're thinking. They're thinking like, who is this Moses guy? He just came up out of nowhere, and now he is wreaking havoc on this nation. I mean, these plagues, and Pharaoh's not listening. Would you believe him? They weren't delivered yet. They'd been in slavery for years. Their great-grandfathers were in slavery. And now this Moses guy shows up and says, we're going to get you free. And you're like, oh, yeah, let's go. Send Send the frogs. Like, no, they didn't believe. It was hard to believe. And Moses says, hey, you got to trust me. I'm going to go back. And they go back and forth all of a sudden after Pharaoh's firstborn son is struck dead. Pharaoh's like, all right, y'all get out of here. And so then Moses tells the people, he said, we can go. So the Israelites grab their things and they take off and they go out into the desert And in the desert, there's lack of water, and there's lack of food, and and Moses is saying, you're free. They're like, this is freedom? And we judge them. But what would you think? Or what have you felt? Sometimes when God pulled you out of something that was so bad, and you got saved and cleaned up, and then life got worse. Am I the only one? Yeah, they used to tell me that if I got saved, that everything would be right. Oh, man, everything would get good. I would get good grades. I, 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 everything would happen for me. Everything would be just great. And things got hard. And this is what happened to the Israelites is they're outside the gates and things got difficult. Once they had their freedom, actually, is where the battle began. And now they're there at the Red Sea, and Pharaoh comes and changes his mind and decides to attack them. So they have the sea in front of them and Pharaoh behind them, and you know the story. Moses calls on God, and we're so happy about Moses. But I'm trying to think through the eyes of the Israelites like, wait, Moses, you can do what? And he lifts up his arms, and before them the sea divides, the Bible says like a wall on one side and a wall on the other and dry ground in the middle. And the Israelites must have been walking through that wall like, this Moses guy is crazy. What are we doing? What are we doing? And we actually hear in Exodus, them begin to say these type of things. It was better for us in Egypt. And you know what? I always used to judge the Israelites. Because I'm thinking, look at Moses. Leading you into the promised land. The only problem is we know where the promised land is because we read the end of the story. But when you were taking your kids and pulling them out of the city and walking into a desert and then the wall of water is in front of you and the water parts and then you walk through. Then the water comes back and then you don't have any food. So now the water separates you from the Egyptians but now you're in the desert and there is no food. And the story goes on and on and I've always judged the Israelites. But now look at this Exodus 24, this Moses guy who's leading them all over but they're going nowhere. They're in the wilderness, but they're not getting anywhere. The Bible teaches us, theologians and scholars believe it would have taken them three months to get from where they were in Egypt to the promised land. But we know that they traveled for 40 years, so they were wandering. They weren't all idiots. There was probably people with them that said, we're, we're, not, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Moses, we're not making progress here. So they knew that they were wandering, and then Moses says, hey, guys, God called me to the top of the mountain. I'll be back. Wait for me here. 
And so Moses, it wasn't like a finely marked walking path where they had like a sign like 3.2 miles to the top of Mount Sinai. It was like a cloud of smoke and Moses just disappears. And they're like, okay, whoa. So we were, this is like a whirlwind. We were in Egypt, then there was the sea that parted, then we had no food, but then God provided food, and now, now we're, where's Moses? The Bible says that while Moses is up here, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, the people are, are without a leader. And when they're without a leader, they begin to get impatient. And when they got impatient, it exposed insecurity that was already in them and codependence that had rested on them to always have to look to someone else to be okay. And so when those people came to Aaron, and they came to Aaron and they said, Aaron, you got to make us a god or a leader or something because I don't know where Moses is. And Aaron didn't know where Moses was either. And he says, all right, just bring me your, bring me your jewelry. I'm, I'm going to make, I'm going to make, I'm going somewhere. Just hold on. I know it's a long story, okay? Exodus is a long book. Bring, give me a break. And, 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 and so they take the jewelry and, and they, they, make, they make the calf. And I've always judged the people because how could you? Moses is up there receiving from God. And you're down there partying. You're having, I mean, they come down the mountain. You know the story, right? They're having like a drunken orgy. I mean, they have lost their minds. This is every pastor's nightmare, by the way. Come back from vacation and you're like, what happened to the people of God? I mean, it's just, you, while you're away, you know, I'm on the plane like, Lord, please keep and protect. Keep them, Lord. Don't let me come back to my office and there be something crazy. My staff have lost their mind or something. This is like every, every pastor's like nightmare. Moses starts coming back, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping this up. Moses starts coming back, and I think it's really interesting, this whole progression of what happens. And I, I, want, I want to just tell you these couple things. I want to tell you that God uh, will always test us. He will not tempt you, but he will test you in order to strengthen you for what he's about to take you to. Now, I'll tell you this. The enemy will always try to put snares in your path to try to get, get in the way of your God-given destiny. And I'm going to tell you, there is a snare called impatience. The, the, there is a snare. There is a trap called impatience. And America has it worse than any other country in the world. Is that we got to have it right now. If we don't have it our way and in our time, then forget about it. I would hate to see what America would have done in the wilderness. At least the Israelites stuck around a little while. I'm telling you, America would not have made it to the Red Sea. We would have walked out those gates and be like, nope. We... We would have scattered and tried to do it on our own. We would have been killed right there. So at least the Israelites stuck around and banded together enough to get across the Red Sea. And so now we judge them because it's been 39 days over a month that their leader disappeared into a puff of smoke on a mountain. And we judge them. I'm going to tell you, for us modern believers, we can barely believe God for two months. We can barely believe God for a day. We can barely keep what the message was today all the way to lunch this afternoon. 
We can barely forget what we read yesterday in the Word, let alone try to get it to apply to our life today. We have a problem with impatience because people say idolatry was their problem. And I would propose to you that idolatry was not the problem. Impatience was. Because the impatience exposed their insecurity, and the insecurity led them to idolatry. Because as soon as they were impatient, and they didn't know that Moses was going to come back, they got insecure. And because they were so codependent, they needed something. And so they said, Aaron, make us something else. We've got to lean on something. I'm going to tell you, impatience will get you out of the will of God faster than any other thing. Most of the compromise you're looking for. Most of the temptation you're looking for. But impatience is giving up too soon. The Bible says in Psalm 27, 14, it says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. If you didn't hear anything else besides our insanely long story, hear this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and wait for the Lord. Their insecurity showed through in a moment of crisis. An outward action is always a symptom of an inward condition. An outward action is always a symptom of an inward condition. They said, oh, make us an idol. And they're like, oh, these idol worshipers. No, there was something deeper. There was something deeper in their hearts. It wasn't in the moment they just decided, like, make us something, make us a God, make us something. There was still something in them. The Bible and scholars, they, they talk about that the journey in the wilderness was as much about getting Egypt out of Israel as it was getting Israel to the promised land. And I'll tell you, you getting saved and getting right with God, many of the, of, of the months and the years that you walk through in your life is a lot about getting Egypt out of you. It, we, we've got too much of the world in us. we got too much of the past in us. we got too much of the things we've went through still in us. We've got to shake those things off. Impatience will move you out of the will of God and will expose the issues of your heart and that insecurity will drive you to idolatry. I know, I know, we don't worship idols. Not the ones like they did then. But we got different idols, like comfort, like security, like power, like control, like rights, like persuasions, like money, like status. We, we've got all kinds of idols. Well, what is an idol, Pastor? An idol is anything that is above God. So when God doesn't come through... In the time that you thought, what you run through, what you run to, while you should be waiting for, is your idol. God, you're my provider. You're my provider. You're my provider. You're my provider. Okay, I got to make something happen. I got to make some. Whatever you just ran to, is your provider. Well, doesn't God use our job? Yes, He uses our job under the right alignment of God as our provider. But whenever we get outside of God to go find something for ourselves, it's the impatience in our own heart that has pushed us outside of the will of God and has set us up for a fall into idolatry. The snare of the impatient. There's another snare that I think is, is, is so evident in this. It's the snare of the past. The snare of the past. I mean, everybody, 
struggles with their past, thinking about their past or dealing with their past, and it would be so nice if we could just like delete the years of the past. The ones that we wanted to keep, we saved. The ones we wanted to delete, we deleted. Like when you go through your pictures and you can just throw out the bad ones and keep the good ones. I wish we could do that with memories. I wish we could do that with life, but it is what it is. It's there. And I do know this, and we talk about this all the time, that God will use whatever we've been through for his own glory. That he will turn something that the enemy meant for evil, and he will work it for good. We know this. And in verse 2 of, 30, of chapter 32 in Exodus, it says, Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him. And they made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And I want to show you something. When the people struggled, they went to the leader for an answer. When they went to the leader for an answer, the leader, Aaron, didn't have what Moses had. They went to him expecting him to lead like Moses led because he walked where Moses walked. But Aaron didn't lead like Moses led because Aaron didn't have the relationship with God like Moses had. Even though Aaron had been with Moses and walked right into Pharaoh's courts and stood right next to Moses as he threw down his staff and it became a serpent and gobbled up the snakes of the sorcerers in Pharaoh's palace, Aaron was there. But all of a sudden now Aaron is here. And Moses is there. And the people come to Aaron. And what Aaron does is he reverts back to the last thing that had mastered him. I'm going to teach you something about your past. Whenever you encounter struggle or weakness, you revert back to the last thing that mastered you. Where did he learn how to make a golden calf? He learned it in Egypt. Where did he learn to look to something other than God Almighty? He learned it in Egypt. What was Egypt? Egypt was the place of slavery. It was the thing that had mastered him, and the thing that had mastered him so got a hold of him that when God didn't come through in the time that he wanted, he reverted back to the last thing that had enslaved him. This is why some people get saved and they're so excited about God. They're running after him and, and, and they've totally changed everything about their life, but they haven't switched masters yet. He's the Savior. He's just not Lord. The Bible teaches he's got to be Lord and Savior. Savior says, save me. I'm in trouble. Lord says, you're my master. There's a huge difference. America loves Savior, but they hate Lord. We've got to get back to Lord and to Savior. Save me, Jesus, by your beautiful, by your amazing grace. But you are my Lord. You are my master. You are my commander-in-chief. You give directions, and I will follow. You give orders, and I will say, yes, sir, I am submitted to you. But when God didn't show up in the timing that Aaron wanted or that the people wanted, he went back to the last thing that had mastered him. Let me ask you this question. What's the last thing that mastered you? Why does that same thing keep on coming up? Because when you get into a moment of weakness, you go back to the thing that used to enslave you. you it got real quiet in here. So y'all all right? You, you, we, 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 go, we, go, we go back. We go back to the last thing. When we are shaken, the tendency is to revert back to the last thing that has mastered us. 
It doesn't matter if you hate what has enslaved you. If you haven't been mastered by a new master, you will go back to it. You cannot just remove. You have to replace. Psychologists will tell you this about your thinking. that You cannot try to remove or eradicate a thought. You have to replace that thought with another more pervasive thought. This is the same thing when you're walking with Jesus and you're trying to live for him. You cannot just remove a habit. You have to remove the habit and replace the habit by a greater habit. And when you replace the habit, that new habit becomes your master instead of the old master. So when you're shaken, you do what Moses did. When the Red Sea was in front of him and the Egyptians were behind him, oh Lord God, we need an answer. But when Aaron was shaken, he said, let's, let's make something. He reverted back because he hadn't been mastered by a new master. I, I, see, I see the last snare that's here, and this is really where I, we did all of this to get here, is the snare of codependency. It, it, it is the trap. It, 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 is, it is the enticing plan of the enemy to get us to depend on someone other than God. To get us to lean on something other than Him. And this is the wild thing, is it doesn't have to be bad to be codependent. It doesn't mean that you're leaning on something that is wrong to mean that you're codependent. I love the church. I've given my life to the church. I will always build the church. That's what I'm doing for the rest of my days. That's what I'm doing for the rest of my life. But I'm going to tell you, the church is not what you're dependent on. The church is supposed to set you up and cheer you on for your relationship and your connection with an almighty God that loves you, that sent his son to die for you, and that relationship is for you. I can't be your connection to God. I'll be a mouthpiece, I'll be a tool, I'll be an instrument, but you have your own connection to God. Whenever we think someone else has a better connection or more possibilities or greater access than we do, we lay at the mercy of codependency. When we are codependent, we look to someone else for something we should be getting somewhere else. I, I remember uh, I, we love to go to the Northwest. We're from the Northwest. And we love to go hiking. And so this last year we went hiking, and both the boys are pretty young, but I want them in the outdoors because they need to get toughened up a little bit, and they've been in the city way too long. And, and so we were going hiking, and so we each got a backpack. My brother uh, got a backpack, and I got a backpack, and we each have a kid in the backpacks, and, and we set off on the mountain. This is the amazing thing for them is they didn't have to climb. But they still got the perks of the climb. It was amazing for them. I mean, they loved it. They even took a nap on the way up. We woke them up at the top, look at this. Oh, and then they fished, and they played, and they threw rocks. And then when it's time to go back down, they jumped back in. Took another nap on the back, on the way back down as they're Slapping my head as I'm hiking down treacherous rocks and trying to feed me snacks as I'm trying to. It's like we should have took some pictures. Like dad life. Hashtag dad life as granola bars are being shoved up my nose as I'm stepping over the precipice of cliffs. That is totally okay for my boys right now. It is, it is okay. 
I'm, I'm totally comfortable with carrying them up a mountain. I mean, they were like three and two or one through two and one. They're, they're young. Um, and we're car- I have no problem carrying them. The problem is going to rest in if they get used to being carried. And so in five years when we go back up and Jude's eight now and he expects to jump in the backpack, it's going to be really awkward in like 15 years when he's 18, he says, Dad, let's go hiking. And I said, all right, son, let's go. And, and he says, hold on here. I, like, it's, it's not, it's not going to work. But if I could show you a picture of the modern-day church, it is 27-year-olds, it's 77-year-olds up on the backs of people, and they have, they have not learned to hike for themselves. We're saying, Pastor, can you carry one more? Leader, can you carry one more? Church, can you carry one more? And we're squashing leaders, and we're squashing pastors, and we're squashing men and women of God, and we're squashing churches, all because no one ever pushed us out of the backpack and said, you have to learn to climb for yourself. You know what the amazing thing is? When Jude learns to climb by himself, he can go whenever he wants, however he wants, and do it the way that he wants. He doesn't even always have to go with me. He can go to a different mountain. He can go to a different place. And the same is true for you. If you're codependent on this church and upon these people, you're limited in what you can do and how you can do it. But if you learn how to climb, she wants to go climbing right now. Just climb, baby girl, climb. If you can be dependent on him, then you have access. The Bible teaches, then you have access and you can climb wherever you want, however you want to do it. I'm going to have the band come back up and I'm going to give you a couple thoughts that really, I think, have shaken me this week. The... The people's impatience showed their dependence on Moses and lack of a personal relationship with God. The the people's impatience showed their dependence on Moses and the lack of a personal relationship with God. See, this is one of the heartbeats of our church is that every person would have their own relationship with Jesus. That you would be able to grow and you would be able to climb and you would be able to overcome and you would be able to conquer and you would be able to accomplish things because you and God have a connection and have a relationship. You know why the church is so weak across America, across the world? It is because we have immature believers. That the only time they ever climb is when they can get in the backpack and have someone take them to the top. But they've never exercised their own spiritual muscles to begin to climb. And I was looking at this text, and I'm reading this story over and over again. And I thought, well, it's not really fair to the people of Israel to say, like, well, there's Moses up there with God, and you're down here, and, and you shouldn't be looking to idols, and you shouldn't be impatient, and you shouldn't be thinking about your past, and you shouldn't be codependent. When Moses was the only one that got to go on the mountain. You ever looked at someone and said, well, if I had what you had, if I would have had the upbringing you had, if I had a dad that was a pastor like you did, well, if I had a mom and dad that loved you, like, we, we start looking at this. 
And I started doing this with the text. It's not even, even fair because Moses is up there in the glory of God. And the people of Israel are down there like, oh, is he coming back? Is he coming back? I don't know if he's coming back. Is he coming back? Let's, 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 let's make something. Here's an earring. I mean, that's, they started like getting crazy. They lost their minds. And then I remember what we read. And it says in Exodus chapter 24 that when God called Moses up to the mountain, his aide Joshua was with him. Because I thought Moses was the only one up there. That's why I judged the Israelites so bad. Because if they, 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 they struggled so bad, but then like Moses is up there by himself, he's up there. Like if we could go up there, we'd be all right too. If we live, I've heard people say this, well, if I lived in your city with your church, I would be like that too. If I had the leaders you had, our church would be growing like that too. If we had the band you had, we would be doing what you have too. If we had the building you had, it's like we didn't always have a building. You've been around here very long, you know. It's inside joke, high five the ceiling. We always look around and I'm wondering, Moses, you're the only one that had the opportunity to be with God. This isn't fair. But then when I read this, I realized that Joshua was with him. Joshua was with him. And in Exodus chapter 32, in verse 17, it says, When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. So Moses is up on the mountain and Joshua is with him just a little bit lower. And so when they begin to go down, Joshua says, I, I hear something. The fact that he heard something tells me he wasn't there. Because he said, I heard the war, sound of war in the camp, but there was no war. It was insecurity and idolatry and orgy and all kinds of sin. But he wasn't there. Which means that Joshua was with Moses. But in the beginning, Aaron was with Moses. But what switched? What happened to make Aaron Moses' right-hand man to now Joshua is with Moses and Aaron is stuck with the people? Aaron wanted the position, but Joshua wanted the promise. See, before Joshua was anybody, he was a spy. He was a servant. And God said, I want you to go in, and I want you to spy out the land. And Moses sent the spies. Twelve were bad, and two were good. And Joshua and Caleb went in, and they came out full of faith. And they said, surely we can take the land. And God honored Joshua, and he honored Caleb for their faith. So before he was anybody, he lived in faith, not fear. Aaron took what was given to him. But Joshua camped outside the tent of meeting. This is what Exodus says. It says that when God called Aaron, he's like, Aaron, you're going to go with Moses. And Aaron's like, yeah, I guess I'll go with Moses. And, and I found this, that people that are given things too easily don't value them. But Joshua was a nobody. He was a spy. And it says that whenever they found Joshua, he was outside the tent of meeting, the place where God's presence was. That's where he was. He's just laying there. Whenever the church was open, he was there. He just wanted to be around the presence of God. He wanted to be around his people. He wanted to be around what God was doing. Aaron wanted Moses. But Joshua wanted God. Because when Moses was gone, Aaron couldn't be Aaron anymore. Which tells us that he was dependent on Moses. 
But when Moses died, Joshua arose. When Moses was out of the picture, Joshua stood up, which tells me that Aaron wanted the man of God, but Joshua wanted the God in the man. And that is the difference, my friend, between leadership and codependency, is that when you want the God in the man, God will begin to do something in your life. When we just want the man of God and we just want the church of God, we have missed it all together. But what God's about to do in the next months, if what God's about to do in the next season of your life is to get your connection with God for you and teach you how to climb all by yourself. So let me ask you this, and we're going to close. Do you love them enough to climb alone? Do you love God enough to climb alone? Pastor, I'm just kind of looking for a group of people to kind of do life with. That's great. There's a lot of those. We have a lot of groups and all that. But I'm going to tell you, this church is about establishing a, 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 a connection, a relationship with you and God. To know God, to be strong, and to do great exploits. Everything that we're doing is about us knowing God. That is why we are created. That's why we're on this planet. And the reason that we have weak, malnourished Christians and weak, malnourished churches is because we've never been weaned from the leadership of the people we look to. But God's saying it is time to move on from what you have leaned on and what you've relied on. It is time to look to me. I felt like God spoke to me this weekend and said if people would take the time to look to me, I'll take the time to come to them. That's a biblical principle. And you know what the people of Israel didn't know? Is that if they would have done what Joshua did, there's a chance they would have been on the mountain with Moses. But they were busy just receiving, 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 being led, being led, being led. That they didn't cultivate a heart that loved God for themselves. They loved Moses because he was the deliverer. They loved Moses because he was progressive. They loved Moses because he was doing things. They loved Moses because he was powerful. They loved Moses because he did signs and wonders. But they missed this element. It's what Paul says. He says, let my preaching not be with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, that men might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. We have got to get back to loving him for him. We love the church because Jesus loves the church. We love people because Jesus loves people. We love each other because Jesus loves each other. We love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us. And what God's going to do in this next season of your life is begin to rip things away. It's not encouraging, I know. Rip things away that you're codependent on because he says you don't need that. And you don't need that. And the reason you've never walked in freedom is that you always revert back to the last thing that had mastered you. And so you're here with God, you're here with God until you hit a speed bump. And then you're back with this thing. And then you run back to God and you're here with God, you're here with God, you're here with God. And then you hit a speed bump and then you're back to this addiction. And then you're here with And on and on and on and on and on. And we wonder, when are we going to be free? And I'll tell you, freedom happens when you become so obsessed with your Savior that you lose sight of your sin that you stop leaning on a person or a program to give you presence and you lean on the person the Bible says come he says come to Jesus says come to me come all who are weary come just as you are 
Come with your issues. Come with your dysfunction. Come with your pain. Come with your weakness. Come with your crisis. Come with your temptations. Come with your family. Come with your in-laws. Come with the outlaws. Come with the enemies. Come with the friends. Come just as you are. And that is grace, my friend, is that Jesus doesn't say get cleaned up and then come to me. He says just come to me. And this is the power of the Old Testament, the New Testament, because in the New Testament, God said, I'm not even going to make there be a mountain and a valley and a priest and a not priest and and a man of God and a not man. I'm just going to say when Jesus stretches out his arms and he says it's finished, I'm just going to rip down every division and every wall between other people and the presence of God and say anyone that would like to make a choice to come into my presence can. So all of this talk and all of this Old Testament, all of this story to say what? To say you can climb all by yourself. Today is a kick out of the backpack. It might be a little unstable at first, but when you begin to climb all by yourself, It opens up an entire world of freedom. And God wants you to be free. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.